It's time for the Putting Podcast, presented by Odyssey Golf, the number one putter in golf. Here's your hosts, Sean Toulon and Luke Williams. Hi, this is Luke Williams. I am the head of product and brand management for putters here at Callaway Golf, so I'm in charge of the Odyssey brand. I am joined my co-host, Sean Toulon, who's a good friend, my member member partner, uh, and and also my boss. He's a uh, senior vice president here at Callaway Golf. He's also the general manager of Odyssey and the founder of one of the founders of Toulon Design. He's been in the industry for for years, over thirty five, I believe. Uh, he's been a part of many iconic designs through the years, but has a certain uh, place in his heart for putters and putting. Um, and he's going to be my my co-host through these. So Sean, uh, Sean joining us by phone today. Uh, welcome to the Putting Podcast. It's so exciting to be part of a Putting pon- Podcast. I don't I don't think there is one. I think until now, right? Y- yeah, we think we have the. We're calling it the Putting Podcast because we think it's the one and only Putting Podcast. So bound to be the best. By definition, it would be the best. By the by definition, exactly. So. With this putting podcast, our goal is really yeah. our ultimate goal is to help help people, the listeners out there, putt better. And we're gonna we're gonna try and do that by talking about all sorts of things related to putting. So we're gonna talk about equipment, of course. We're from an equipment company, but we're gonna talk about technique. We're gonna talk about strategy. We're gonna talk about what's happening on the tour, trends that we're seeing out there, and how they may translate to to what you do, uh, kind of on your weekly golf rounds. We'll have special guests from time to time, uh, and again want to have fun fun with this but really really trying to help you all become better putters luke you know nobody should be a bad putter would you agree with that yeah it's the one one part of the game everyone's strong enough to be a a, you know a good putter um you're moving the the club less than any of your other clubs so agree there's there's no reason to not be good at putting but you know how many people are good putters or or at least would admit that they're a good putter not very many. Not very many. You're you're absolutely it's right. Just, it's just so sad. <laughs> I think we can help. We can help. I think that, and that's going to be the fun fun part of this for us. I know that uh, that you're a very good putter. So um, if people can learn from you, I think uh, I think we can help them along the way. Yeah, it's not the manliest part of the game, is it? No, but it's so much fun. And if you're putting well, it makes the rest of the game so much easier. It takes pressure off the rest of the game. You don't feel like it you have to hit it perfect. Miserable. It drives your opponents crazy. Um, it does. That's what I, I think that's what's so much fun about it. That is fun. When you roll in a, well, like you did when we played in our member member and you rolled in a 95-footer across the green for birdie that no one was expecting and just kind of flipped them on that hole, that, you know, that's, that's pretty handy. Yeah, I, I got to be admit, I don't do that as often as I'd like, uh, <laughs> but that was fun. That was good. So, and and the same thing you could see last week at the U.S. Open. So we're coming off the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, yeah. and putting is obviously a critical component to the game any any round in any given week, and certainly in in tournament golf even more so. But it seems like yeah. at the U.S. Open, it just gets ratcheted up and and putting becomes just that much more important. And you could see it, I think, through the week where you saw Justin Rose putted great for the first three days, but his ball striking wasn't quite there. And, you know, at the end, um, you know, that faltered a bit, but it kept him in it for three days. He was right there, um, and he just couldn't do it for four. But the guys that are up near the lead um, are the guys that are putting well. 
Yeah, so let's let's maybe talk a little bit about the U.S. Open because I I found that fascinating. One Woodland was he was an animal. Yeah. Um, Brooks I thought uh, was going to keep the heat on the whole time, but he didn't really have his best putting week. But uh, the back and forth between Woodland and Rose on Saturday was absolutely incredible golf to watch. But yeah. What I found interesting on Sunday, you know, Justin still didn't have his. I, I'm sure he would tell you. He didn't have his A game. But when you watched his, the way he putted on on Sunday, it was crazy. He missed every single putt below the line and, and almost always to the right. Yeah. And it's interesting, Luke, because that putter that he uses, which is not one of ours, which obviously worked great for him uh, up until Sunday, but it's, a, it's kind of a toe-up model. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar to our number seven, but the way the – the shaft goes into the hosel relative to the center of gravity of the head, that putter actually has very, very little rotational value. So it's it's really a good putter for somebody whose miss is kind of more to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just found it fascinating that his misses on Sunday under pressure with that putter in particular were to the right. It's a really difficult putter to square up. Yeah. Um, and I think we saw that really come to fruition on, on Sunday. That was That was tough to watch. Yeah, it's you know it's when those those putters those putts come down the stretch and uh, they're really important putts. You can tell the guys that are really confident in their putting and the guys that that yeah. feel good and are making confident strokes and getting the ball to or past the hole versus the guys that are yeah. kind of limping it in there. Um, it's yeah. it's amazing. I mean, just the the pressure of the U.S. Open just compounds all that. I think you know people talk about what it takes to be a good pressure putter. Um, and I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that, but I always feel like, well, if you're a good putter, then putting under pressure isn't scary, right? But if you're not putting well or you have any kind of issues, um, then under pressure, those those concerns sort of get amplified. So if you're not driving it well, then right. when you get under pressure, driving it becomes really difficult. Um, if you're not putting right. that well or you're not that confident in your putting, then putting under pressure becomes yeah. really difficult. If you're putting really well and you're confident in making those you know, those short ones or lagging those longer ones up there, um, then putting under pressure just becomes fun. It's, you know, a chance to show yeah, off what, right. what you're doing well. Yeah, it's hard to say really what happened with Justin. Um, you know, I, but to me, everything, especially under all of that intense scrutiny and pressure of a U.S. Open final round, everything I'm sure does get magnified. And, and you know, we've all hit putts where, uh, you were nervous to the point where you couldn't really feel your hands. That's not that fun, actually. To be <laughs> uh, so I'm sure he had that. But I think it's really important that um, a golfer understands his tendencies um, and sort of, you know, if he has a mishit pattern or a miss pattern, that you have to take that into consideration, especially when you're trying to find a putter that would help you alleviate whatever that miss is because it's going to get amplified under under stress, right? Which is, I think, what happened to Justin. I honestly, as good as he puts with that putter, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a perfect putter for him. Yeah. And I think I think we really saw that on Sunday. So um, many might disagree with me, but um, you know, you just see what Tiger and I know Tiger hasn't putted his best either. But the way he puts with that putter that he has, um, that um, you know, Andrew Two style putter, 
he knows how that putter releases. He knows how it releases under all kinds of, of situations. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, you know, over the years, nobody has putted better. Maybe Nicholas did, but nobody really putted better under intense stress and, and, and pressure than Tiger Woods. So I think it's really important to know exactly what you, the feel that your equipment gives you. And, and if you have that, I think it's pretty comforting in, in you know, the most difficult environments. Yeah, exactly. I think any of that, any of that gets amplified under those conditions. We'll get right back to the putting podcast in a moment, but first this word from Odyssey Golf. Xander Shoffley switched to an Odyssey Stroke Lab Tuttle putter just before the U.S. Open. He wanted to see more consistency from the rebalancing of the putter. Hey, it worked. Another top 10 finish for Xander. If it works for him, it'll work for you. Now back to Luke. The U.S. Open, as we talked about at Pebble Beach, uh, it was a beautiful setting. I think the, you know, the USG, USGA did a great job this year. There weren't any controversies about the course. Um, you heard some rumblings that it might have been playing a little bit too easy for a U.S. Open test, but I think that really came down to the weather. You know, they didn't get any, right. it didn't firm up. It didn't, they didn't have any sort of wind. So I felt like that, you know, the course played as it should. If it had gotten windy and, and dried out, it would have been a lot more difficult um, so I think, I think they did a good job of setting it up. The greens were fast, but they weren't, you know, out of control fast. Um, right. so the guys were able to make some putts. The guys that were putting well, um, were able to take advantage of that. So that was, and, and for POA greens, as people were, you know, nervous about and talking about in the run up, right. they were, they were just absolutely magnificent surfaces. I thought. I think what do, they said they were actually injecting, uh, the greens, um, with moisture, you know, as the lead up to the event, to try to get um, the different strains of grass to grow, I think at more consistent levels. And yeah. um, you know, when you see those golf balls roll, usually, especially in the afternoon on Poe, you see these balls bouncing all over the place. There was none of that, so I thought that was incredible. That's that's really science, I think, taken uh, into agronomy at a level that we've never seen before. But the other part of it with the USGA to me, Luke, was I think they just said, you know what, if they shoot 12 under, so be it, which I think is awesome. Um, And, you know, you look at that golf course, it was, what, just a tick over 7,000 yards? Yeah. Not 7,800 yards. Yeah. The golf course held up great because it's 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 a wonderful, traditional, classic golf course that, um, you know, has a lot of different ways that it you can really def- it can defend itself. So the fact that the USGA was seemingly okay with 12 under, I think, is a really important part of it. But you know, just when you look at these guys play, I, I'm here in Madison, Wisconsin. I played an event yesterday with all the top juniors, um, the top assistant golf professionals, and club pros in uh, the Madison area, and um, both boys and girls and the juniors played you see these golf swings luke it's it's totally different than when we were kids yeah. growing up yeah so i mean golfers have become athletes and they're capable of doing things you know when these modern or when these classic golf courses were designed that you know people couldn't do back then so they're going to shoot lower scores i just think it's really cool that it appears like the usga has sort of come to grips with that and maybe has said that's okay yeah, they certainly they certainly seem to take the right approach this week. I know it was from what I heard it was uh hot up there last weekend, so they kind of soaked the course in anticipation that it may continue. Um then yeah. they got a little rain every morning and they had the cloud cover that we tend to get here. So, 
So it never really got hot or windy. And so nothing, it didn't get baked out, but you know, I thought that was fine. And I certainly think taking that approach was the right way to go. Cause if it had gotten windy, it had gotten firm and fast. If they had lost the course, then, then there's no way to get it back. So I thought, I thought it was right. a great, great U S open. It's, I mean, they could have it at Pebble beach every year. As far as I'm concerned, it's just such a beautiful setting and, and really a, you know, a national treasure for us. I know it's your favorite golf course. It is, but you know, there's just, there's so many, many incredible holes. And, you know, I think it's easy to go to, um, you know, to starting, I guess, probably number, uh, excuse me, I'm finding the cold here. I guess starting at number five, which is just an incredible uh, par three that Nicholas built. The first time I played it, it was with the old number five that kind of went up um, the the hillside and it was a okay hole, but now it's spectacular. But, you know, so I, I'm sure people think five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, you know, and they're all incredible holes. But yeah. when you get to like the eleventh hole, that green, yeah, is pitched from back to front, and and uh, it's so severe. I think it, it in its narrowest most part, which is sort of the center of the green, it's only like um, like fifteen, uh, no, not even. Um, it's probably like. 30 feet wide at the most, yeah. maybe a little bit wider than yeah. that. I mean, it's incredible. And if you get above that hole, which you saw, uh, those putts are so fast. I'm, I'm surprised we didn't see more guys uh, really putting it off the green there. And there were some, I Woodland chipped it in, I think, on uh, uh, one day from behind the green. Yeah. It's just, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's just incredible golf that they played. But some of these green complexes, and the putts that you get because of it are so incredibly difficult. Uh, and I think the, the level of putting that we saw for most of the week was at a, at a level I've never seen before. Yeah. And these guys certainly are, are used to putting on, on faster greens than, than we get to put on sort of at our, you know, local, local course or local club, uh, typically. So they're, they're more finely tuned on that, but what are to help some of our golfers out there? Some, what are the things that you think about when you're putting on particularly fast greens? What are some strategies you have? Um, I know that I putt differently on fast greens. I, I tend to putt better, I think on fast greens, just because of the, the style of putting I have. But, um, what are some of the things that you think golfers should focus on when greens get a little faster than what they're used to, uh, to maybe help them hold more putts and, and as importantly, reduce the number of three putts. Cause I think that's on fast greens. That's, what's really scary for people is the, the three right. putt or maybe the dreaded four putt. If the greens are, are really fast. Yeah. Well, number one, um, I think it's imperative, uh, it's the faster the greens, the better the green reader you need to be. So right. all of the speed on these really, really fast putts are typically um, realized when golfers underread putts or, you know, so let's say it's a big left to right, you know, side healer. Um, uh, I would say like on number four at Pebble Beach. So that little short par four that goes up the hill, that green is again, sloped from front uh, or sorry, from back to front. It's yeah. not very wide. And you could see all those golf balls. They take one big bounce to the back of the green and then spin and just come back towards the hole. Sometimes crazy, yeah. all the way off the, yeah. Sometimes all the way off the green. But if you were to to hit it pin high there, left or right, which would appear to be, let's say it's a 15 foot putt, a great shot. You're holding on for dear life there. So yeah. on a putt like that, the conservative read you have to play, in my opinion, 
you're going to make very few of those 15 footers anyway. So you sort of take your medicine. Mm-hmm. So you've got to take, you've got to take a very, very high line, um, understand where the ball is really going to stop and almost kind of tip to the right yeah. and let it kind of trickle down towards the hole. And I think where golfers really get in trouble is um, they'll underread the putt. Um, and because the greens are fast, they typically will hit a little bit too hard. And then, you know, you see the ball whooshing by the hole low right, and then, it, you know, you got an 18-footer coming back. You're not going to make very many of those. So, to me, you, you have to play very, very defensive. And you heard the announcers talk a lot about these putts, this is a defensive putt. And yeah. on fast greens, I think that's really important. From an equipment standpoint, Luke, I think it's important to make sure that you're putting with a fairly heavy putter, which I think is pretty counterintuitive to a lot of golfers. But yeah. the heavier the putter um, – and, and and definitely I'll plug Stroke Lab a little bit here. The Stroke Lab heads are a little bit heavier in the head, about 365 grams in the head, um, a little bit of, of weight in the handle section, the grip, and then there's a weight underneath the grip that weighs 105 grams, and the shaft in between is much lighter. It's actually 75 grams, but it gives you a little bit more feel in the head and the ability to now not have such a big stroke. So I think that's really important. And then the final thing is, if you have a really, really scary putt, um, I, I still, it's kind of old school, but I like to hit them off the toe. Yeah. Because it allows you to kind of maintain a little bit more of a familiar length of your stroke. Um, but because you hit it off the toe or off the center of gravity or the sweet spot, it, it comes off the face slower. It comes off so a little better, you, yeah. You can have the feeling that you can kind of hit it a little bit more normal. And, uh, and not have it get way away from you. But I think the biggest thing is is to make sure that you're playing probably a little too much break. You're not going to make a lot of putts that way, but you're really going to avoid a three-putt or a four-putt. Yeah, I think that's right. Speed becomes just ultra-important on, on the fast putts. What you talked about, playing it to the high side. They call it the pro side for, for a reason, right? Give your give your yeah. ball a chance to, to go in, but give it the least chance to kind of run away from you. I think that's really important. I go way beyond the pro side. I would go to the chicken side, which is about <laughs> triple the pro side. And, yeah. You know, if the thing uh, hits a spike mark and goes hard right, it goes in great. Um, but there, there's, there's a lot more pars made from up above than there is from down below, that's for sure. Yeah, and I always think when I'm when – I'm, um, hitting a putt like that a, a side hill putt with a lot of break I try and think of I, I do this on on all my putts but particularly the more the break the more I consider it is where that ball is going to go into the hole so if you're trying yeah, to hit a putt that's got you know two feet of break say and you're trying to make it at six o'clock your margin for error is very small if you miss six o'clock and you get a little bit below the hole it's not going to catch catch the hole and that's where it can really get away from you you're trying to make that putt more at like nine o'clock you would probably say something like 10 or 11 o'clock on the dial right absolutely yeah and that's that's a really important way if golfers could just do that um i remember um uh talking to hank Haney in the last uh, a few months or so and what he talks about so much for for the average golfer if you want to shoot lower scores you just you have to eliminate double chipping that's like no kidding, right? right yeah. You have to eliminate penalty shots, but more importantly, you have to eliminate your three putts. And I, I, I'm sure that the average 15 handicap that goes out there probably has two, three, four, three putts around, right? Yeah. And you know, it doesn't make as many five or six footers as he should, right? Um, but if you could just do that, that's probably four or five shots around. That's a big deal. Yeah, 
I think so too. What and so what when you're thinking of avoiding three putts, right? What what are your, some of your strategies on that? I heard people talk about you know just try and try and uh, hit a longer putt within a you know three foot radius of the hole, make it seem like the hole is bigger. I find for me personally, um, I've I've changed my strategy and I've tried to be less um, almost conservative in that regard. I feel if I can make my target as small as possible. Um, which is the hole. Um, then if I miss the hole by a little bit, I'm never going to be that far off. If I'm trying to hit it to a, a, a hole that's got a six foot radius and I'm off by a few feet, now I can leave myself, you know, eight or nine feet. So I try and really make yeah. the, make the target as small as possible. But what, what do you think of when you're trying to lag some of those putts where you're, where you're hoping to make it, but not really expecting to. So I, I, for me, it starts before I play. Uh, the, the last thing I do before we go to the first tee is I go to the putting green at Chatteridge where I play, and there's a putt from the very uh, front part of the green all the way across, and it's a downhiller, and it's probably 70 feet. Mm-hmm. And I'll hit two putts um, the length of the green uh, to, uh, to a target 70 feet away, and then I'll come back and I'll go uphill, reverse, 70 feet, and I'll do that two or three times. Mm-hmm. And all I'm trying to do is just begin to get a feel for the speed of the greens and kind of calibrating what I hear when I make contact with a putt, what I feel, the length of my stroke, all of that, just to try to get sort of synced or calibrated. Um, and and then when I'm out on the golf course uh, playing, so I have a, a long putt on the first hole, say I have a 45-footer, when I walk up to remove the flag or, or – you look at it i actually pace it off so if it's 15 paces i know that's 45 feet yeah from the work i just did on the putting green i know what that feels like in my cutting stroke and yeah yeah and and i'm telling you if golfers would just do that um you're going to have a way better feel for that and you know you you don't make many 45 footers but if you can get them up there within a foot or two um you know you you three put a putt almost never right Um, that for me has been a really important part of my game for 40 years. I've done that. Yeah. That's a great tip. I think, I think getting that and calibrating that. And, and as you said, doing it before the round, cause every, every day is a little bit different. Um, the conditions of the course are going to be a little different every day. Hopefully the, how much Pinot Grigio you got um, system from the night before, how much of that what, factors in the temperature, whether you've got a sweater on, well, you always have a sweater on, but whether you've got a cashmere oh, sweater on or a, a yeah. quarter zip or whatever it may be, um, calibrating that feel, I think is, is, is a really important, uh, thing to do before you go out there so that you don't hit that first putt eight feet by or leave it eight feet short. And it, and inevitably, if you haven't practiced that, you get up on the first hole and your first putt is 40 foot or you don't hit it to five feet. So, um, no, probably not. And then you three putt the first one and you kind of set the tone you, for the rest of the You're kind of in a no, hole right from the get go. All right. Well, Sean, uh, I appreciate you calling in and, and playing sick today. I know you're, uh, you're back, uh, home in Madison, Wisconsin. So, um, thanks for, thanks for calling in just quickly before we leave everyone. I want to let you know where, uh, where you can get in touch with us. So we really want to make this about you guys. So we want all of you listeners to share with us questions you have, uh, topics you'd like us to cover. You can reach us out to us on the Callaway community at community.callawaygolf.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Odyssey Golf. You can talk to Sean personally at Sean Toulon on Twitter. You can reach out to me at Luke Williams CG 
and just send us uh, send us any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, and we'll do our best to get back to you. We'll either do it in the podcast, or if you reach out on the community or on Twitter, uh, we may just come back at you directly. But uh, we hope uh, we hope you enjoyed this first putting podcast, and we'll look forward to coming back uh, and doing another. Sean, any any final thoughts? I hope they did enjoy it. I don't know if they did, but I did. You've been listening to the Putting Podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Golf, the number one putter in golf. For more on Odyssey putters, go to odysseygolf.com.